Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Good morning. Good morning, one and all. Thank you so much for joining me this beautiful day in November. I hope that all of you had a fabulous Halloween. Um, we had a lot of rain on Halloween, but, you know, rain will never stop the Steelmans, and we were out trick-or-treating in spite. So it's a holiday that I'm very sad to put to bed. I had to put all my little witch's pins and cute little spider earrings and striped socks. I had to put that all away and and remember that I am an adult and that I cannot dress like that all the time. But I welcome November. I love the holiday. I love the idea of reminding people to be thankful for everything that they have. And I am especially grateful this morning and thankful for my guest. I am absolutely honored to be speaking with Pat today. My guest is Pat Giswaldo, and he is amazing. He is a celebrated drum virtuoso, and he is known for pioneering a groundbreaking technique of drum therapy. And he, he, he started a nonprofit organization called DAD, which stands for Drums and Disabilities. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg's administration helped him get this nonprofit off the ground. And, you know, along with the help of New Jersey Department of Education Commissioner and a lot of other wonderful people. And he is, you know, he's working with psychologists, neuroscientists, teachers, law enforcement agencies, child protective agencies, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and therapists over 15 countries to, to use his drum therapy techniques in schools, in mental health facilities, in hospitals, and in therapy centers throughout the world. It's amazing what music can do for these kids that have disabilities. And Pat himself started out the, the, the beginning of Pat's drum therapy started with himself. He was, um, a young man that was fighting a battle with dyslexia and he was growing up in a small town in New Jersey. And typically, as we always hear the story, doctors told Pat's parents that he probably would never do well in school, that he probably would never be able to do things that most kids do and that he probably would never be able to go to college. And so, you know, his, he always, all he wanted to do was play the drums. And so, you know, and you can see that as, as normal children. He didn't want to study. He didn't want to read. He didn't want to do the things that the teachers and the, um, the professionals were wanting him to do, things that typical children would be doing in the school system. So his mother broke down, bought him a snare drum, and Pat played three to four hours every day. And it took him one full year just to be able to coordinate his hand and foot to hit one beat at the same time. And so, but he did it. He worked at it. It was something that he loved. And as he got older, his father bought him a complete drum set. And so through that repetition 
and 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 the work of coordinating his his what it took to coordinate his body he was able to um just become an amazing virtuoso in the drums and it helped him cure his dyslexia and he would play rhythms and patterns backwards you know and they thought that he was doing it on purpose it just you know maybe to aggravate them or to irritate everyone but it it went along with the whole dyslexia and it, it allowed him to actually beat dyslexia and play the drums. So I, I'm going to let Pat tell more about his story, but what he is doing for the community is amazing. So let's, let's bring Pat on and have him tell, tell the story. How are you today, Pat? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for a great introduction. Well, I am just so impressed and I, I am, I am so jealous of people who have a musical ability because I have seen the the talent that if you have a musical brain, it usually flows into other arts, painting and and all kinds of things. So people that have a musical ability, I, I am always in awe of. But tell the listeners a little bit more about your struggle with dyslexia and how playing the drums helped you. Well, actually, um, you know, my situation was even more than, than dyslexia. Originally, they thought I had cerebral palsy. Um, oh. I couldn't speak. I didn't start speaking until I was four years old. But when I did, I had a severe stuttering problem, so I couldn't speak. Um, I also had braces on my legs from my ankles to my knees to help me walk because I had no fine motor skills, no coordination. Uh, on top of that, I was also severely dyslexic, so I couldn't read. And uh, at the same time, I wanted to be a, a drummer. How ironic is that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, it did, as you mentioned. It took me, it was very, very, very hard. I, I played three to four hours every day, and it took me one year just to coordinate my hand and my foot to come down on one beat together at the same time. That's how difficult um, my struggle was. So, But it, uh, it was something that you wanted to do yourself, so it wasn't a struggle that you had to be uh, forced upon you. It was a love that you yourself had to, you were determined, in other words. Oh, yeah. Especially to play the drums, yes, absolutely. And to be good in school, uh, you know, to, to get good grades and things like that, it was horrible. Um, you know, but of course, I, 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 you know, I had to move forward and do what I had to do. And uh, thankfully, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just so grateful to be able to return what I was so fortunate to have received because with the help of a very few special teachers and the love and support of my family, uh, you know, without them, I don't know where I'd be today. And really the dad program is a tribute to them because, and all the little boys and girls and the moms and dads. You know, the dad program is never, ever, ever about me. It's all about those little boys and girls. Right, right. And again, just reminding everyone, the DAD stands for Drums and Disabilities. And and tell tell us how the drum therapy, how you have incorporated that into the school system and in, into other facilities, health facilities. Well, well, again, I guess that goes back to uh, me originally. Not to sound narcissistic, but... No, no, um, no. no. When, when I think about the DAD program, I, I think about, and I think as I was pioneering drum therapy, and, you know, as a kid, I had no idea that what I was doing for myself would help other people with autism, Tourette's, MS, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, um, and ADD, OCD, ODD. Um, so basically, um, 
you know, I found out when I decided to, well, let me back up for a second. When I graduated college, um, I had a private teaching practice, and it was out of that that I realized in what I was doing when I was much, much younger, um, you know, private teaching practice, teaching drumming. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw how I was helping kids with various disabilities, and as fate would happen, I was getting all these kids that had, whether it was autism or Tourette's or Down syndrome, MS, uh, dyslexia. So I had, I had known that I had taken what I was doing, what I had done for myself, and was doing the same kind of patterns and rhythms with um, those kids. So then I, that led me to actually uh, do a research study showing with records, showing how the repeated exposure to the rhythms and patterns of drumming can help alleviate symptoms of disabilities and increase retention, coordination, fine motor skills, things like that. So um, I had approached uh, Mayor Bloomberg's administration and Mayor Bloomberg about doing a program uh, based off of my drum therapy. And so I guess from there, really, we launched it in the New York City schools in 2004. It uh, was the very first school uh, in Brooklyn. And then, um, you know, from there, it just kind of expanded. And uh, the next state was New Jersey, um, where I live. And um, the commissioner of the Department of Education helped me bring the program into New Jersey. And so for a while, I just had New York and New Jersey schools, and then from there, it just, you know, increased dramatically. I started uh, getting calls from teachers, from neuroscientists, occupational therapists, behavioral therapists, physical therapists, psychologists, and wanting to know what I was doing and how I was doing. So that's how the whole thing really kind of came together. Wow. So when you were able to convince them to introduce this therapy into the public schools, was it primarily just given to kids that were pulled out for extra special education or resource room? Uh, kids that were on a special education program, were those the only kids that had access to the therapy? Uh, originally, yes. Um, originally, how we did it was we did it right in the classroom. So I brought my drum pads and sticks, mm. and we did the modalities. There are certain modalities that I developed. Uh, to drum therapy that really combines all the senses at once, sensory, physical, fine motor, um, which then develops retention and coordination, uh, and social skills. So, yeah, we then kind of put it all together. And from there, I, it went from schools and then the hospitals and then the mental health facilities and the community centers. Wow. Isn't that sad that they're taking the music programs out of the school and yet they're recognizing that this is so beneficial to children who are having any kind of coordination, even if it's just a mental coordination, which is so much included in a lot of autism therapy is just repetition and helping the brain to connect. And yet we don't recognize that it's good for everyone, that everyone benefits from this. Yeah, even adults. Yeah, yeah. And I, and what you're saying, I remember when I put my, I didn't have music lessons as a child. I had dance lessons, which I'm sure probably is also helps coordinate. But I remember when my children started to take piano lessons and I thought, well, what the heck? Maybe I'll take piano lessons the same as along with my children. And the first time I sat down and realized that I had to coordinate 
what my left hand was going to be doing, something totally different from what my right hand was going to be doing. And I realized, oh, I don't know if my brain works that way. I don't think my brain's going to be able to handle one hand doing one thing and one hand doing something else at this point in my life. But I can see where that would be so, you know, it's just like children learning a language, what you can teach a young brain to do and what you can teach an old brain to do. Yes, it, it is amazing, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit more about, I'm sure with all of your study, what have the therapists, the occupational therapists and behavior therapists, what have they seen come from this this drum therapy? Well, you know, that uh, some some good things, thankfully. Um, of course, I, I could never use myself in my own research because... Obviously, that's a little jaded, so I always have to, you know, communi- excommunicate myself, so to speak, from the research, even though that's really where everything started, you know, mm-hmm. because by the time I was in high school, from the way in which I was doing drumming, um, helped me beat all my disabilities by the time I was in high school 100%. So I had to show and kind of talk to those professionals, as you mentioned, the physical therapists and the neuroscientists and the psychologists. Um, and so when we started doing research studies in different places, for example, we just finished one in, um, in, with one of our guys in London, with one of our therapists in a school in London. And those were children that were cutting themselves. Um, they had severe behavioral issues. Uh, of course, there was no school attendance. It was horrible. And within about Four months of doing the DAD program with the drum therapy, uh, they stopped the self-mutilation 100%. They stopped cutting themselves. They increased their grades and their attendance by 100%. Oh, so my gosh. That, um, that, you know, that can happen. That's amazing. And, you know, even with the non-professional, non-trained brain of mine, I can see where giving a child something to concentrate on something that they can feel, especially drums, that they can feel in their body and their brain is working and concentrating and thinking about this, whatever it is, you know, as they're working on this uh, music, that you can see where it will turn the brain and give the brain something else to think about, something else yeah, to come out actually, of. Yeah, and it actually, especially in my, especially in my case, what happens is it, connects the synapses and retrains the synapses in the brain. So I kind right. of look at it like um, a, a thin wire, let's say, for example, going from the right side to the left side of the brain. And that all needs to be one continuous strand. But mm-hmm. in, in disabilities, what happens is that there's gaps. It's like there's little cuts or they're disconnected in little pieces. Well, drum therapy helps connect those synapses into one constant strand again. And wow. So you get the message from one side of the brain to the other, which then, uh, you know, helps with development of retention and coordination and especially in my case, fine motor skills, speech, uh, you know, things like that. And it, it even works in adults. I know in one of our uh, programs here, actually it was here in New Jersey, um, it was amazing. We had a gentleman uh, named Johnny. He was 56 years old. He was uh, se- had severe retardation, could hardly talk, taught, needed help walking, really couldn't count. And within about, oh, I guess five weeks of doing drum therapy, 
he was able to count from one to ten. He was able to do one pattern with his hands, like a right, left, right, left, with left, right, left, right, with his feet at the same time, cross combination patterns and things like that. And you know, it's amazing because the the the, uh, the people at the community center um, they were just like, I can't believe this. And it's like, I told you it works, you know. Wow. But it's never a cure. I never say it's a cure, but there's no, no. there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of tears because I tell kids they're 16 years old, speak for the first time, sing for the first time. So there's a lot of tears in the program that, that so many of these kids, you know, have done for the very first time, which is just amazing. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful, you know. To oh my gosh. Absolutely. Talk a little bit now, you know, back in the days that you were at school, Dyslexia wasn't necessarily being diagnosed. What, when you, when you would try to read or you were asked to read or you were asked to spell, what were you thinking? What were your parents thinking? What did the teachers initially, did they recognize that it was dyslexia right away? No, they actually had no idea what was wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially, especially not being able to speak, you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So. Uh, and then, you know, having the braces on my legs, too, because I, I had issues with walking. I would learn how to walk, like, on a plank, like, one foot on, one foot off, to try to train um, my my legs and my feet. And, and that's where the braces came in. Remember those old metal braces that would connect around under your knee and then have the long metal bar with the yes. shoe? Yeah, I, I had those. So um, those would help me keep my, you know, walking in line and things like that as well and bring down my heel cords. But they, I tell you, with all of that, they had no idea, <laughs> you know, especially now add the dyslexic part of it. Um, right. And it was, it was so difficult for me. It was just, it, I don't know if I had to do it again, if I could do it again. It, right. It was just absolutely just brutal. Um, and so I guess what they had to do is figure out a way of how to try to work, you know, with me. Um, I, I, you know, some of the, the teachers and things like that would tell my parents, uh, you know, he's just daydreaming and he just doesn't want to do anything. And so that was because of the frustration part of it, where right. I just couldn't do anything. So they were looking at it as a behavior issue. But when I came home, they would see I'd be putting 100% out and only getting 10% back. So they knew something was wrong. So I was in Catholic school um, at the time, and then I went to another school, and that's when they started doing all the neurological evaluations and things. And thankfully, I did not have cerebral palsy, it was just uh, a very uh, severe case of fine motor skill issues, but thankfully, and also thankfully, that was correct, too. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I have, I cannot even imagine the frustration of reading letters and seeing things backwards and having people tell you, no, that's not right, and yet you're looking at it and you're going, it is right, that's how I see it, and you think they're saying do this and you're doing it. You're like, I did it. And they're like, no, you didn't do it. I can't even imagine the frustration that these children must go through. But I love that you're pointing out that a lot of times so many of these disabilities are recognized as behavioral problems. And when you look at early childhood education and you see that children up to a certain age their goal is not defiance. Their goal is not, they want to please. They want to be accepted. They want to 
do things the correct way. They don't, it's not until they get a little older that they start with the defiance part. So, so many times these young kids, first, second, third, fourth grade are diagnosed as having a behavioral issue when in actuality there is something that's not connecting. And how important is it that fine motor skills, as you mentioned, I know even with ADHD, a lot of times people will very kind of casually mention that, well, their large motor skills are highly developed, so their fine motor skills are not being developed. And so they brush that off as just something that will catch up. But oftentimes, it's like all of us, we'll all, we all want to do what comes easiest for us. So if our large motor skills come easier, then I'm going to climb and jump and run. And I'm not going to bother with the fine motor skills, which are more difficult. It's human nature to want, not want to do the things that are more difficult for us. Yeah, that is the truth. And, you know, unfortunately, as you just mentioned, so many of the kids nowadays, you know, I would, and, and I mean this with no disrespect to any of the doctors or professionals, because there are, and teachers too, for that matter, there are some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful doctors and teachers. Uh, but it's nothing like when I was growing up. I mean, you know, I would not want to be a kid today growing up with a disability. I can tell you that. No. I mean, no. I can tell you, I, and, and it's, it's produced not just regionally here in New Jersey or New York or the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, or the East Coast or the West Coast. I mean, I have the DAD program in 15 countries, and I can see it time and time and time again where either the teachers don't care or the doctors just, oh, there's something, okay, give them three different types of medicines and he'll be fine, medications and he'll be fine. It's like, no, that's not the answer. I mean, sometimes it is. You know, sometimes it is. Uh, where somebody is, has, a child has a behavioral issue that is just so severe that he needs some type of medication. Unfortunately, I have many clients like that as well. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's just it's something like, like, like it was, even with all of our latest technologies. Exactly. So were, did you come from a musical family? What do you think drove your love for drums? What was it that made you love drumming? Um. I think it was just, uh, you know, something within me. I think they just wanted to learn how to play the drums. Uh, my okay. father, my father sang a little bit. My mother sang a little bit. Um, so I think that's kind of where I got it from. Um, you know, but nobody was really, well, many centuries ago, I was, I was related to a uh, very classical, uh, a very famous classical composer, Don Carlos as well. But, but um, uh-huh. He wrote the dissonant chord structure in music, but, you know, that was back in the 1500s, 1600s. But, um, but recently, no, nobody really played. I get asked that question a lot. You know, it's, yeah. You know, it's God. Honestly, it, mm-hmm. it's what God wanted me to do. Right. Really. And, and you do hear that a lot. People will ask singers or musicians if their family was musical, and a lot of times they'll say, no, I was the only one. Yeah. Yeah, you hear that a lot. You really do. Yeah. And I guess the same goes with somebody wanting to be an artist or, you know, even, you know, architecture, anything with the arts, you know. Right. Uh, it's funny, dancing, um, choreography, you know, it's, it's like, oh, sometimes it's just something that somebody's born with that is just so outside of, you know, the family tradition of, okay, my father was a lawyer or my father was a doctor or my father was a plumber, you know. It's just, uh, right. it's just such a great gift, I think, when people have that ability and then go and do amazing things with it or just phenomenal at what they do. It's just, just amazing. 
Well, and I think that's exactly what I was going to say next was there are a lot of amazing drummers out there. But because you had the disability and you recognize that this therapy that you kind of created for yourself healed you, your, your mission was not so much to just be a great drummer, get into a band and produce music, but to take that talent and then to serve the community and those that are, you know, those with disabilities. That's what drove you. And I think that's so, Amazing that that and not not that everyone has to do that, but because of your disability, it it softened your heart and made you go in a, a, a different direction. But you also play music for fun as well, right? Well, yeah, I do. I uh, I started out as a uh, after I'd beaten my disability, thankfully. Um, I started out as a professional drummer. I've worked with a lot of major bands and members of bands and things like that. A lot of record company projects, tours, and all that stuff. But it's interesting. I mean, you know, I've worked with members from Kiss, Wyatt Riot, um, Rob Halford's band, Judas Priest, I've worked with guys from those bands. You know, I've done some some great things uh, and done a lot of uh, drum education, a lot of clinic tours. But I'll tell you honestly, I don't need to worry about playing, you know, in the top number one band right now. I think for me, I think what God wants for me is just do what I'm doing and do the dad program and, and help as many people as I can. I really think that that's what it's all about because honestly, you know what? And it's funny to say this, but I really had nothing to do with with the program. As crazy as that sounds, you know, people ask me, how, did I, how have I gotten the dad program in 15 countries? Honestly, I don't know because I, that was never my goal. My right. intent was only to help and, and start a program in New York City. And the rest, you have to say it's God, because I, I, if I really would have put my head to it and said, okay, I want to get my program in here and do this and do that, it probably never would have happened. Right. You know, it, just, it probably never would have happened. So, and then it's interesting because um, I think, and I'm grateful that, you know, you put something out there and you see what happens, you know. Right. And that's, that's always the, the story. Um, of the dad program. So that, I think, is my goal in life. And, um, you know, it's one I take very serious because not too many people get a chance to do things like that. Exactly. You know. And I I think that is the pure, the pure um, uh, ingredient that makes so many programs successful that when I listen to people who are professional business people and they talk about writing out a business plan and setting out all of these goals and doing this and all the steps to have a successful business. But then you talk to people who, as you mentioned, have successful businesses, but they didn't do all of those things because they were just led by their gut feeling and by a higher a higher power that said, this is a great thing and I'm going to make things, I'm going to open doors for you. And talk, talk a little bit about in 2012, President Obama and the U.S. Department of, of State took you to the West Bank region of Israel to help disabled Israeli and Palestinian children. Talk about that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I had um, actually, um, working with both administrations, President Bush and President Obama, uh, originally, and, and, I, and honestly, I have no idea how this happened. But I started getting calls from senators and congressmen throughout the country uh, because I do a lot of advocacy. So I'll get into that in a minute. I don't want to get sidetracked. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, mm-hmm. So I was invited to the White House to meet President Bush to help bring that program and drum therapy to wounded veterans in the VA hospitals throughout the country. So when I got a call from the chief of staff of the White House, President Bush, I was like, yeah, I'd love to come and meet. So I met him at the Rose Garden at the White House, and, you know, we tried to implement some things, and which was great. And then in 2012, um, I got a call that, you know, maybe there's some interesting things that we could do in the Middle East. Middle East, I mean, I do have the DAT program in the Middle East, but when they specifically said helping uh, the children, the Palestinian and Israeli children, because Palestinians do live in Israel, um, in the West Bank. So I was like, okay. So we had gone over there, and one of our therapists went as well, and uh, it's just amazing. You know, I've also gone to Italy to represent the United States in the International Disabilities Festival. So seeing those kids out in Italy and all over the world, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, it's, it's, it's just wonderful. I, all I want to do is help. You know, that's, that's, that's really all I want to do. And I think I'm probably the only person that, that wishes I didn't have the organization or job that I do. And that would be okay with me if I didn't, because that would mean that all the little boys and girls would be fine and there'd be no issues. But right, but, right. You didn't have to do what you do. Yeah, right. I didn't have to. But um, right. unfortunately, it's really not reality. So, right. yeah, you know, uh, I've also gone into a lot of advocacy, and I don't know what brought me into that, but that's been a whole other part of the DAD program, too, besides the actual drug therapy, is helping parents understand what special education is. What is an IEP? You know, what is uh, special education? What are the legal rights afforded to me and my child if my child has it? So just disabilities in general, you're working with parents just to understand the system, as you mentioned, the IEP system or the special education system within the public school system. You're working with parents just to understand what their rights are and what programs are available to them? Yeah, I actually, that actually started a couple of years ago, and I'm, I'm actually trying to think back. I know it was probably one case where I got a call, can you help me with an IEP or something like that? You know, can you help me with my child's special education curriculum in school? I think that's how it started, and I was like, well, okay, fine. So I went to the IEP meeting, I went to the, you know, with the school and the principals and the parents, and and of course, it was a situation where, as is many of the cases, um, the schools cannot uh, sometimes don't adequately provide what the child needs, or they don't want to, or because they're so overwhelmed, especially within their city schools. Oh my right. god! Oh, it's just horrendous. So, and then I started getting into this whole thing. Well, okay, I'll come and I'll help you know negotiate the IEPs, and I'll, I'll you know come to the conferences with you, and I'll talk to the schools, and so I got into that whole arena as well, which is extremely time-consuming, as you can imagine. But there's been a few high-profile cases that I uh, oversaw that um, people really needed help because their child was disabled, and they were either getting discriminated against at school or with homeowners associations, things like that, which is just horrible. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, these people. And, you know, I guess unless you really know it, uh, know somebody with a disability, you really have no idea. I mean, even right. some of the things that I see, I really have no idea. Some of these people, especially when they're adults with a disability, um, a severe like cognitive disability, they're physically abused, they're 
sexually abused, they're emotionally abused. It's horrific. By landlords, family members, you know, it's just neighbors. It's just unbelievable. Well, and I think even I was so jaded with my thoughts of how the IEP or special education program worked because my son is so severely disabled that I didn't expect him to do, uh, you know, it was physically impossible for him to reach any kind of educational level. So I knew that him attending school was a social outing for him and the people loved him and he was welcomed, but there weren't any social, you know, he wasn't going to be reading at a certain level or anything like that. So his IEP basically talked about physical therapy and things like that. And I, I went along with it and it was great and I had nothing but wonderful things to say about it. But because it was more or less, you know, we're going to, he's going to go along with the other children who were doing occupational therapy. So if they were going to get on a bus and they were going to go to a, a grocery store and learn how to buy groceries, learn how to ride the bus, learn how to be independent, he was just along for the ride. So when I actually had to deal with IEPs for children who had uh, the ability to do a lot more than they were doing. And I started seeing how the IEPs were written. That's, uh, this was 30 years of dealing with IEPs and suddenly my eyes were open to, wait a minute, this IEP is not serving him at all. This IEP is not going to get him to where he needs to go. And these things that you're writing down have absolutely nothing to do with his disability. Uh, what's going on here? So there is a, a huge need for helping parents understand how the IEP program works and being advocates for their children. It's amazing. It really is. And see, you saw that firsthand. And, and until you really stop and think about it, right? Like you said, you didn't, you don't realize it until you actually see the process. Now, I guess for me, and nobody was there. That's the one thing I think about the dad program too that I'm so proud of is that nobody was there for me as a kid or, or my parents. Right. And, and honestly, I wish I had a program like the dad program. That's why uh, it's, it's drum therapy is so much fun because the teachers can get included in it in the schools and we do it right in the classroom with the drum pads and sticks and they, the kids get a great uh, therapeutic intervention that they don't realize you're getting because it's so much fun. Uh, right. So I kind of developed everything in a way where it's something that I would want as a kid. You know, what, right. what, what would I have wanted? But then when you see like this, and a lot of the IEPs don't call for the, the special ed programs. I mean, they do, and by law, the parents have to get it. But if they don't know they're gonna, that they're supposed to get it, they don't ask for it. So when you see things like the dad program, or there's so many other wonderful programs out there that these kids just can't get because it's either being overlooked, there, there's either no budget, or frankly, a lot of the times the special education department sometimes just really don't, don't care. I hate to say that, but, but it's true. And that's right. not every case, obviously, but there are those cases where it's just horrendous. I mean, I have some clients that their kids, they owe, they need, uh, they need tutoring. They need, uh, and these are high functioning kids. Maybe it's just a child, another means to be little, just ADD or something or dyslexia. Right. But Right. It's just something like that. And they still they still have to have like 400 hours, like four years of special education services because in some cases they never got it at all. Right. So it's just, it's just, the IEP system I think really has to change somewhat in this, in this country. 
in other countries. It does. It does. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of things that are time-consuming that aren't benefiting anyone. And the teachers do get exhausted having to fill out all this paperwork. And I remember going to one meeting, and there was such a disconnect between the teachers and what they were saying and what they were doing and, and the things that were coming out of their mouth was totally different from what was in their eyes. And they're looking at their watches, and it's just gotten to be routine. It's just something they just fill out. And they're, they've just it's it's because it's exhausting and it's because there's a lot of bureaucracy behind it that requires them to do a lot of stuff that is so time consuming they can't do what they really need to do and it is something that totally needs to be revamped and looked at well uh pat because this is radio and not television unfortunately i wish it was um try to explain to the listeners what the the drum therapy what that looks like what you're doing with the kids and you mentioned bringing in pads and and it's just kind of try to visually describe to us what we would see if we saw a class full of kids in drum therapy well and and drum therapy can be one on one or it can be in the class. So in the classroom situation, I'll come into a school. All the kids are sitting at their desk. I'll, I'll take one desk and put it in the front of the class. And then um, I explain to them how to hold a drumstick, what drumming is. And they go, okay, kids, everybody ready to drum? And, of course, they're going crazy. Yeah, let's drum, you know. So as soon as you hand out the drum pads and the sticks, you know, they're banging crazy, and it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It really is. So then we go through various modalities of drum therapy, which the purpose of these exercises uh, is to retrain the synapses in the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we will do different call and response and, and different kind of group exercises. There's some exercises where the kids will work uh, four kids at a time in their own little group and come up with different rhythms and patterns, and then they develop their own uh you know, little beats within their group, and then they could do it individually, and then everybody joins together as a class, as a whole. So the purpose for uh, the way I develop um, the curriculums is to develop not only the physical and cognitive functions, but also the social skills, working together, um, helping the kids to work together, helping the kids if they have a disability to... Uh, not be made fun of so other kids can help them um, and understand what their disability is. I mean, even if there is a special education program with 10 or 12 kids, and some kids are even more severely disabled than others. And mm-hmm. and sometimes those kids within those classrooms will not not really bully, but pick on the, the uh, you know, the less fortunate kids as well. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. brings everybody together in a fun, cooperative um, nature, and, and they just they just love it, and it works really, really well. Uh, you know, the other part of it uh, is when they're in the classroom or when they're in the home is when they do the thumb, drum therapy class, what we're doing is we're helping develop uh, uh, behavior, correct behavior. Okay, put down the sticks, uh, listen to me, stop. Uh, it's helping with ADHD hyperactivity issues because a lot of times I'll be there talking to the class and some kid will just be blasting away a million miles an hour. It's like, no, okay, stop. You know, so it's it's retraining the brain to understand um, how to work in social skills, uh, how to work with social skills in society, how to help themselves within themselves. 
that was one of my biggest things, was understanding myself as to what my own problems were. And once I was able to identify that, okay, I couldn't read, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that, um, then that helped me to say, well, how can I do this? How can I read? How can I do it? And, and that's really what, you know, the whole program is about. And that's really what the, the class includes. And then we also sometimes have a drum set in the classrooms. If there's, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes there's just no music programs at all in the school. But if I'm fortunate enough, or one of our therapists is enough, if fortunate enough to be in a classroom with a drum set, we'll have the therapist play the drum set, one beat, and then all the kids, if there's 10 or 12 kids, they'll have a different type of, you know, some kind of instrument, whether one has a cowbell, one has a tambourine, and then they'll all build a beat around the drum set. And then each child gets to rotate and play the drum set uh, so that then they can see what it's like to actually put, try to put down a drum beat and develop coordination, too. So so it's um, there's a lot of fun things that we do. Um, but again, they're getting a great therapeutic intervention at the same time. Right. And I like what you said about helping the kids to recognize where their weaknesses are so that then they are driven themselves to do whatever it needs to do, whatever they need to do to correct or or get better because so often these kids don't recognize that they have a problem. And so they think that they're just being picked on or that teachers are, are being mean to them when they don't, they don't see that they have an issue. So once they recognize it and take control of it, then they can be driven themselves to correct this. I love that you said that. Well, you know, I see that time and time and time again. It's like, look, when I was a kid, yes, I know I had a disability. Okay, it is what it is. Kids made fun of me, yes. Was I bullied? Yes. Whatever. Did teachers say I was dumb and I'd stupid and I would never amount to anything? Yes. Did doctors say I'd never be able to go to college? Yes. Okay, fine, whatever. And one of the things I tell the teachers and the school psychologists a lot of times is, uh, we'll be in the meeting right before I do the program when they call me in and they ask me to do the program, and they'll be like, okay, Pat, now remember, these are kids that have learning differences have to say they have right like listen they know they have a disability okay yeah, yeah. we're not going to not that you come out and and, and you know want to sugarcoat it but there right. has to be some level of reality there right know? it's like okay johnny you can't read no problem johnny you have a problem reading or Susie, you have an issue with this okay try this that beat or pattern and see what you think and now you see how hard that is to do that but with practice you can do it. And by practicing it and doing it over and over again, it might help them with whatever issue they may have. So, so many right. times, it's the political correctness, when you know that the Association for Retarded Citizens can no longer call themselves that because it's impolitically correct to, incorrect to say uh, retarded, that they have to call right. themselves the art and can't really go the long you know, form of Association of Retarded Citizens, there's a problem, unfortunately. Right. So, right. you know, they are what they are, the associations, you know? So, and these right. people know they have an issue. So don't sugarcoat it. Help them understand what it is. And right. And that really gets to the key point here and really to the heart right. of the issue. Right. And, that, and see, that's and the other thing, too. You're so right. Yeah. Oh, and no, that's the other thing, too. Okay, Johnny. Okay, Susie. 
you can't read. I couldn't read either. Here was my situation. So I used myself as the example. I couldn't speak until I was four years old. And when I did, I had a severe stuttering problem. I was not able to speak like you hear me now. I couldn't speak at all. You know, mm-hmm. so I think when kids can identify with, with, with somebody that has issues that they have or issues that maybe they don't have or maybe even worse or whatever, it helps them a great deal, I think, to really understand that, that they can do something, you know, about it, about their own situation. Right, right. It gives them hope. They, they see someone that has succeeded with a disability that they have themselves, and that gives them hope that they can do something. And it is so important to recognize that there are no perfect people in the world, that we all have issues that we're working on, and it's okay to have a disability of some kind. And and if, even if the disability is something as minor as being a perpetual procrastinist, that you can't ever get anything done, that's something that other people don't struggle with. So let's all recognize that, tell it like it is, acknowledge that we all have something that we need to work on, and and be okay with it that you're you're so i i wondered about that that's funny you would mention that because the um the arc here in the neighborhood that i live in they're the ones that they do so much for parents one of the things that they do is help people they will be an advocate for you if you're having an iep issue or if you get an iep you can take it to the arc center and they will someone will sit down with you and go through the iep and talk about it and and then you can go back and they'll go back with you and say this isn't this isn't correct i need this i need that they they are serving the community in so many wonderful ways and i wondered now with the political correctness how they how they describe their acronym it's like well what do you tell yeah. people your acronym stands for you know because they can't they no longer can use that word um, so it is, it has gone a little crazy, I must say, the political correctness. So just, we have about, oh, about 10 minutes left. You mentioned about how President Bush and President Obama, uh, they wanted to bring you in and help you work with wounded veterans. What, what, how, tell us about that, how that worked. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. But real quick, I just want to backtrack for one second. Yes, the yes, please. wonderful, wonderful association. They are phenomenal. Uh, there's so many great, and what I can say is this too, is that, um, let me just put this out there, um, if I may. Um, there are many great associations, whether it's United Children's Palsy or the Arc or whatever it is. So anybody that's listening to our conversation know that these, that there are associations out in your communities that can help you with whatever it is you might have an issue with or help point you in the right direction. Um, or even contact me at the DAD program, uh, at dadprogram.org. And if I can help in any way, I'm always more than happy to. So I just wanted to put that out. Uh, yes, and I'm glad you did because you are so right. I even learned uh, my son has cerebral palsy, and when I first got involved with United Cerebral Palsy, I was a little bit um, confused because they help lots of people with lots of different disabilities. So don't be... Uh, afraid to contact a lot of these different agencies, even though their title might say United Cerebral Palsy or Autism Speaks or, or whatever. They, they also usually they will help people with different disabilities. And they're, they're, they, if not, they will lead you to another agency that will give you help. So there's a lot of help out there where parents are just thinking that they're alone. They are not alone. There's a lot of people out there willing and waiting to serve, to serve the, the people that need the help. Boy, there, there really are. And thankfully for those, those wonderful, wonderful associations and people too. And, 
it's just it's just phenomenal to be able to have those resources. Um, so get back to your question. I'm sorry to mean to go off track, but no, um, no, no. I'm glad you did. Yeah, it was it was uh, you know pretty amazing. Um, I was also uh, nominated to work at the White House uh, with President Bush. I would have been working three doors down from the Oval Office. Problem is, I would have had to divest myself of the Dad program. And I really oh. think at that point, yeah, am I, you know, am I going to give up working and helping people and doing the outreach that I do now to work in the White House? Fine, that's great to work in. What a huge honor that is, right? I mean, that's just phenomenal. But right. I really be able to help people sitting behind a desk in Washington? And I had to think about that. And the answer I came up with was no. You know, I wouldn't be able to help as much as I am, as I am now. Because now I can do whatever I want, help whoever I want, whenever I want, as many people as I want. With working at the White House, I wouldn't be able to do any of that at all. Right. So, you know, I kind of had to, to pass that up. But but in a roundabout way, um, you know, I still do a lot of outreach uh, legislatively. A lot of senators and congressmen call me to help them work on their disability legislation in their own states, um, for their own constituents. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, Governor Christie just passed a law that I wrote last year. Uh, uh, Actually, I came up with the idea to write the law because so many, I was getting so many calls that homeowners or people who rent that have disabilities, they were getting taken advantage of, as I said earlier, whether they were being uh, bullied, whether homeowners associations were trying to remove them because they had a disability for no other reason and just because they had a disability, um, whether they were being sexually abused, physically abused, uh, mentally abused, whatever the case might be. So I said, I, I, how can I help? So I really sat down and I put some legislation down that I thought would help, and I, I gave it to one of my senators out here in New Jersey. And um, I said, listen, I said, here's a case. It was a case based out of what I was working on in Kentucky. A little boy, a family had a homeowners association, and a little boy... Um, had a playhouse, and it was a very well-to-do community, um, but the homeowners association would not allow a playhouse. Now, the parents put the playhouse in the backyard, just tell you quickly, just to see how ridiculous these things are. Mm-hmm. They spent $5,000 matching the playhouse to their, to their own house, the same roof, the same everything, and the little boy would get his therapy in the playhouse. Well, the homeowners association went crazy saying, you can't have it, you can't do this, you can't do it. It's like, listen, the little boy, he had uh, cerebral palsy. It was the only way he was, uh, you know, using his therapy was in this playhouse, and it was helping him. So I had gotten involved with that, and, and out of that really came my legislation here in New Jersey, which we're the first state uh, in the country now to add additional protection for disabled homeowners and renters who are, who who... Uh, need to know what their rights are so and, and what they can do about it if they are being harassed, if they are being bullied, if they are being kicked out uh, of their community just because, for no other reason, that they have a disability. How horrible is that? Wow. So, oh, it's horrible. And, and, but I hear this time and time again. I mean, I, people call me, elderly people that are disabled, well, my landlord wants to shut the lights off on me or they're doing this or they're, you know, not giving me my central air conditioning in the house that I'm renting, all because of that, for whatever reason, 
they're either angry that the person has a disability, or if there are children, I can tell you horrific stories. One, one case comes to mind real quick. child had autism, and the family in the neighborhood wanted to kick this little boy and his family out of their neighborhood, out of their homeowners association, and out of the neighborhood, because he would make too much noise walking up and down the street. He was only like eight years old. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want people, a little boy yelling up and down the street. So you see these horrible things going on. And I'm like, no, I, there's something I have to do personally, and what can I do? So I sat down mm-hmm. and wrote this legislation, and, and uh, it passed uh, 36-0 in the state Senate and 73-0 in the state of San Francisco. Um, that was wow. just wonderful, bipartisan. And, and it really does add a lot of additional protection for disabled homeowners and renters. And right, you know right. It's, those things are needed. They are so needed. So, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing on the West Coast? Have you been out here on the on the Pacific Northwest or any place uh, west of the Mississippi? Are the are the oh people of the senators out here asking for your help? Yes, actually, uh, and I love California. By the way, when you speak on the West Coast, I love Santa Monica. Um, I just came back from there not too long ago. I try to do as much outreach. Um, as I can. That organization in, a, in, its, in and of itself is not a huge organization. Um, there's not a lot of money. Everything that I do is pretty much volunteer, uh, especially with the IEPs and the advocacy. I, I don't charge for that at all. Um, so, um, you know, but I do take just a few select cases if I can um, time to time um, because obviously time constraints of money. So we really don't have uh, the funding per se. So even though we are in, you know, 15 countries and things like that, but on the West Coast, we do have the dad racing team in Seattle where we have, um, you know, the dad dragster, which has been, we've been doing pretty well with that out there. It's a dragster. It's a full, uh, uh, full-size dragster. It goes about 200 miles an hour. And um, we brought in Rich Bailey, who's the race car driver out there. And, and, and in Oregon, we do a lot of stuff out in Oregon with the dad racing team. And uh, and we do that to help promote the dad program. And oh, most importantly cool. is to realize, to help people realize that there's help for them through the dad program. And if they need help, we're here for them. You know, and that's it's, so and amazing. It's a fun, exciting way. You know, it really is. Right. Well, let's, that's a great way to close. Uh, Pat, tell everyone again, they can find you at www.dadprogram.org. And they can also donate on that website? Yes, they can donate on the website. The other thing what we do is we do the trainings in drum therapy. We're the only organization in the world that could certify somebody as a drum therapist. And okay. uh, we have our training programs um, there as well where we either somebody can come to me or, or in some cases I go to them, depending on what the situation is and where they are. Uh, and they study with us to get certified in drum therapy, and they can go out to their schools and hospitals and mental health facilities, community centers, wherever they are, and bring the DAD program to the uh, population with special needs out by them. 
Oh, that would be amazing. So if, if any of, any of you listening have a child that is an excellent drummer and they've, they've just developed a fabulous talent and they would like to use that talent to serve the community, get on the dadprogram.org website and become certified and do some volunteer work in your schools. Help some of the kids that have some of these differences, these learning differences, uh, see if the, the drum therapy program would be beneficial to them. I, I'm so excited i'm actually going to 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 uh, look into this myself and i i wanted to just mention that your parents uh i don't know if they're still alive but they should be given a a an award of some kind because back in the day when you were doing your snare drum they probably didn't have the electronic drum set so they probably actually had to listen to you is that correct oh my goodness that is correct and my neighbors And, and you can see that, you know, the neighbor was kind and generous and, and loving and didn't complain to the homeowners association. So I have a, a friend whose son is uh, on the autism spectrum and he is taking drums. And I said to her, Shelly, how did you do that? I mean, I, I, I really want to get my grandson into drums, but we have a one level house and I don't know if I can stand it. She goes, ah, oh, heck no. They have electronic drums now. You put the headphones on the kids. And I was like, oh, right. I think I could possibly do this then. So. Yeah, that is possible. And, you know, also, to do drum therapy, you don't have to be a drummer. Uh, there are many psychologists, neuroscientists, occupational therapists, uh, special education teachers who are all certified drum therapists. Wow, so amazing. Yeah, I designed it so that you don't have to be, you don't have to be a psychologist and you don't have to be a drummer either. Oh, that's, that's so great. Well, Pat, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I have learned so much and I'm so inspired and I really want to find out if there, if there is drug, uh, drug, drum therapy. Well, drug therapy would be good, but drum therapy in our school system and going to encourage and see if we can get something like that in our schools and, and I'm going to spread the word however I can. Well, I thank you so much for that. And if there's anything, anything I can do to help, please let me know. And I thank you for letting me be on your show. What a great honor. I thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. I remember when I was in high school, one of my favorite albums, in fact, my girlfriend bought it for me for my birthday, was an album called Let There Be Drums. And I just, I love good drumming drumming uh, music. So um, I think this is an amazing, uh, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm really so impressed that you've taken a disability that you had, a cure that you discovered, and a talent that you have, and you're using it in the way that we all should be using the gifts that we're given, and that's to serve one another. So thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to speaking with you in the future. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining me today. I hope you learned as well as I did. Uh, look look at thedadprogram.org. Get online. If you have some time that you'd like to give back to the community, See if you can become a certified drug, uh, why do I keep saying that, drum therapist, and volunteer. Give your time back to the school. See if you can help some kids. That would be wonderful. Have a great day. We'll see you again. Bye-bye. <laughs>